Hello and welcome back to Venture Studio. I'm your producer, Kevin Weeks. In this episode, Dave chats with Joanne Wilson, a prolific angel investor in New York and a major supporter of the city's startup ecosystem. If you're a fan of the studio, you can find more episodes at VentureStudio.org or SoundCloud.com slash Venture-Studio. Subscribe on iTunes and never worry about missing another episode. You can also find us on Twitter at Venture Studio. Joanne Wilson began angel investing in New York after careers in retail, wholesale, media, nonprofit, education, and real estate. Her portfolio now has over 80 companies, and some highlights include investments in Little Bits, Just Works, One Fine Stay, and Blue Bottle Coffee. Joanne blogs regularly at GothamGal.com, and you can find her on Twitter at TheGothamGal. She had a blog post called Women Raising Money in September 2015, and it led with, It is harder for women to raise money. It just is, and it pisses me off. Joanne is an outspoken supporter of women entrepreneurs and the co-founder of Women Entrepreneurs Festival. In today's episode, Dave and Joanne talk about the role of an investor, but Joanne summarizes it well on her website. I invest, and then I get involved. I love what I do. And with that, let's head on up to the Venture Studio office with Joanne Wilson. In the office, baby. Hi, Joanne. So great to have you on the show. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. You know, uh, it occurs to me that everyone in tech has a a pretty good idea of who you are already. You have a wonderful blog, GothamGal.com. It's about way more than tech. It's about culture. It's about food. It's about life. Uh, There's a lot of wisdom in there. But I thought today we should dive into you as as an investor. I don't know if uh, you've been counting, but I looked at your portfolio page, you're up to 83 companies by now. Yeah, I know. I actually, there's, it's actually almost 85. I mean, there's other things that are not on there. So yeah. Yeah. I can imagine some restaurants and some other <laughs> stuff. You know what I, I guess let's start by, by maybe you sharing with us a little about how many years have you been angel investing and how initially did you decide, let me, let me start doing this. Yeah. I mean, my first Interesting enough, the first deal that I did, um, and I didn't think of like, oh, I'm an angel. It was more, I have a friend who I was in business with in the mid-90s. We were partners, and then he started another business, and I put money into the business and sat on the board. And I was, you know, his board member. And um, so that was really my first deal, and that was in the guide. That was like early 2000. And then, so my first deal was Curb Media. And so that's been nine years, I guess now. Yeah. Nine years. Um, so that was my first deal. And, um, you know, I mean, listen, I think that my whole career, because I've had so many of them is that I've always been like, what am I going to do when I grow up? And so this last career, which is now, which is grown into multiple facets. I mean, there's so many different arms I have now with this business is, um, I was watching curb media and I was, like obsessed with it, literally reading Eater every day, reading Rack and reading Curb. And I literally said to Fred, I was just like, this is how we are going to take in content in the future. Right, this right. is so freaking smart. And um, it's too bad that you would never invest in this because it's not part of your thesis. And he came home literally like, I think a week later and he said, you know, they're looking for money. And I was like, wow. And he's just like, you should invest in this thing. I'm like, really? He's like, you would be great at this. He's like, you know how to make money. And so um, 
I, he called, he asked his LPs, his LPs said, go for it because, you know, we were looking at different things. I called Locke and that was the beginning. Right. And the rest is history. And the rest Uh, is history. (laughs) Exactly. When I look at your portfolio and I, I look for some themes, certainly female founders is a huge theme. Huge. But there's also food. Uh, I see you and I are in Food 52 together with Amanda Hesser. Uh, retail, certainly. Uh, real estate. Real estate with Nestio and Flip and many others. And, of course, content. You have not stopped. Uh, I love content. content. You love content. And, you're not, you know, people are coming back to content now. But for a while, very few investors would touch content. I agree. You know, what's interesting about content now and which is, you know, after we sold Curb, although, you know, we still own, we're investors in Box, yeah. um, is that the first deal that I saw in content that came across my desk was from The Mighty. And it was actually Scott Wolfgang who said it to me. And I said, oh, no content for me. I'm done with this content. Nobody wants to buy the companies that have content. And so I went online. I took a look at The Mighty. And it was... I was like, oh, this is genius. It's incredibly powerful stuff. Uh, genius. And he came to see me and I said, and I, first of all, I cannot tell how many people I've given the first dollar to that I didn't even realize until later. And I was like, I'm in. First dollar in. Right. Really helped Mike. Such a great guy. But what's interesting now about content, because of our understanding of how to use social media from Facebook to Pinterest to LinkedIn to whatever, you can create an audience across the globe relatively quickly to see if your product market fit. So Mike understood that. He came out of media his whole career. He launched this thing, and, and trust me, it's not, not all Facebook oriented, but at the beginning, it's the best way to see if your product market fit. Immediately, he had one and a half million people looking at this stuff. And you, you, you can't not say to yourself, okay, there's something here. Right. And so now, I mean, his numbers are off the freaking chart, and there's a real roadmap and thought process to what this can become versus just a content right, site. Right. Um, but, you know, we all read content every day. Right. All day, actually. You can see people reading, walking the streets from reading all their content. <laughs> yeah, and we'll give a shout-out to Mike on, on The Mighty. I mean, the content itself there is is incredibly inspiring. It's about families and people that have had developmental disabilities and all kinds of you know, obstacles thrown at them and how they've overcome yeah. those obstacles. It's, it's powerful. Real life stories. Absolutely. Um, and you, I see you're in Vine Pair and Bold and you and I are in Spoon together, Spoon University. And it is a, a renaissance in, in the uh, arena of, of content. Um, let, let me switch gears a little bit. How would you say you look at your role as, as an angel, as an investor? What, what's your job in your mind? <laughs> You know, that's a great question, and um, I was actually just talking about that this morning at breakfast. Um, I think the best investor really has to know what they're what they are best at, right? I think most of us who are sort of in this world of the ability to talk to super brilliant people every single day whose synapses are just shooting out of their head is such a, a so lucky. Many of these people could do a variety of different things, and I think it's just as an investor. I could do a lot of things. I could, you know, look at the numbers. I can analyze them. I don't want to. That's not what I'm good. That's what I, I don't even like it. You know, I mean, I can do it and I do it when it's necessary. But I think what I really provide value for is I become 
the go-to person for that founder. I am their biggest fan, their biggest cheerleader. I am honest beyond all. I mean, I have had conversations with founders that I even get off the phone or leave the room and think to myself, I cannot believe I said that to them. But someone has to. And I don't feel uncomfortable doing that. I also think that I am their biggest cheerleader. I mean, sometimes someone raises a fund, you know, around, they close it, and they call me and go, you know, I'm underpaid by like twice. Can I give myself a raise now? Absolutely, immediately get it done. I mean, it's, it's so tiny, but there is someone who is validating what you know. And I think that... Um, I spend a lot of time listening and um, a lot of time I, I always check in. I mean, I just checked in with someone. Um, she sent out her, you know, quarterly report or whatever. And I was like, wow, this looks fantastic. What's going on with this, 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 this. She said, I'd love to get on the phone with you. We're thinking about some things. We got on the phone. And the reality is, is I realized very quickly because I think I have good instincts is that their sales pitch was just off. Right, right. And I said, you you need to move, you need to do this. This is why you're losing and this was happening. She goes, wow, that's really interesting. And so I said, you know what? I know you have a board, you've got a lot of money. I said, let's get on the phone again in three weeks. You're hiring a salesperson, you're hiring a debt person. Let's get on the calendar now and let's make sure we follow up and you can think about what I said. I want to be there for the next couple months to help you think this stuff through. So like, you know, I kind of dive in and dive out where others, I'm like constantly in there. I got to tell you that that's got to be a huge relief for a lot of entrepreneurs to have at least one person in the folks that have backed them that is just there for them and is ready to talk about anything and they can trust a hundred percent and be transparent with. Um, and you fill that role. Your name comes up all the time. All my students, everyone at our lab who's raising money and talking about early stage investors, the entrepreneurs you back love you. Uh, people who are starting companies in the city, want you to invest in them, obviously. But, you know, I, I thought about this and, you know, I said, who can I talk to that really understands why and why she's such a great investor? And so what I did is I reached out to my colleague from Columbia University, Sarah Holloway, that you've known for years. And forever. Forever. <laughs> and uh, she's a dear friend to me and one of my favorite people at the university. And she told me that more than anyone she's ever met, you have an incredible gut and your instincts are just off the charts, and you're not afraid to share your opinions with your friends, with entrepreneurs you've backed. And she also, not to embarrass you, but she said, and she's never wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, where do you think that comes from? What gave you, you know, how did you hone these instincts? What in your past careers or life or family upbringing, what gave you this? It's a good question. It really is. I mean, I don't really know the answer. I mean, I came from a family where my parents, who got divorced when I was in high school, um, were kind of like you're on your own. You know, they were of that generation, maybe, or maybe that's just who the people they were. They were very self-absorbed. Um, in themselves, um, you know, you could fall off the fence, but they prop you. My mom would prop you back up and say, stay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. please don't fall down again. And I'm sure having my parents get divorced at 15 had a lot to do with, um, uh, who I am. I mean, 
and I've always wanted to, I mean, even when I was a kid, I was thinking about ways to make money and businesses that I could develop um, and doing other things on the side. I mean, so I think that all of that combined, um, but I'm not so sure I've ever been that self-aware until getting older. Right. I think I just plowed through. Who I mean, and that's just who my, my personality is. Right. So part of it ha- ha- had to have been maybe without consciously understanding this, you, you developed a sensibility like, I need to figure this out for myself. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's interesting is that, I mean, I've sort of become this poster child for women. I hear how a lot of women, you know, speak or how they feel, how they don't have that confidence. And it probably came from my father. I mean, my God, we used to play ping pong in the basement and he would kick the shit out of me. Until I would practice and practice and practice until I beat the shit out of him. And once I beat him, he stopped playing me. Right, right, right. You know, but there was never like, you're supposed to behave in a certain manner. Or this is how it works politically in companies. Um, It was just like, you go, you do, you say, and who you are. Um, Sometimes that works, sometimes not so good. But I think failure is fantastic. And I think you learn from that. And so... I think the gut thing is just, you know, who God knows, maybe right. from, you know, reading tons of magazines. I don't have no idea. <laughs> no, thank you very much for sharing that. The other thing that Sarah confided in me is that she said you have an insane sense of the customer. And she said it doesn't matter who it is. It could be seven-year-old girls, 27-year-old women, you know, senior, whatever it is, you're ultra-focused on the end user, the customer experience, and you can share that sensibility with entrepreneurs that you back, where does that come from? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. First, I have always understood consumers. I, you know, I started out in Macy's. You know, did you ever take one of those um, tests where they tell you what kind of person you are? Yeah. You know, that, you know, LD, whatever. Those right, Myers-Briggs or whatever. Right, right, the Myers-Briggs test. And I think at one point in my life when I was like, what am I going to do next? I went down and like took the test with, you know, a controlled thing. Right. And, you know, the one thing that was clear off the charts, which was kind of interesting, but not surprising, but made me feel good, <laughs> was that I was a big picture thinker. So I think that's just how my brain works. Let's talk about the customer a little bit. You've written some great posts about how retail is changing, who the tastemakers will be. I'm an investor in, in Warby Parker. They were an online shop. Now I, I, I'm, I've been amazed in the last two years they're starting to open stores. stores downtown. How is retail changing? Well, I think there's a many reasons why retail changing. Um, and you know, if you look at the past history of retail, I mean, like Gilt and um, Fab, I never believed in any of those businesses, ever. Um, I'm not, I don't really believe in plated blue apron or any of those businesses either. I could be hopefully proven wrong for all the people that put all this money in these businesses. Right. But retail is an annual business. You have to constantly, um, anniversary your numbers. Mm-hmm. So you have to continue to reinvent yourself store to store. It's one thing when you add 15 stores and you had a 10% increase Take out the 10 new stores. Where are you? Are you flat or are you behind? And why are you? And customers are always innovating. It's one of the reasons I really don't like to invest in the teen market. 
fickle, 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 right? We, they're obsessed with Abercrombie Finch today and tomorrow we're done. They never return to the store. Wow. And so because of this, what's going on in the internet, a global universe, everything happens on our phones. The millennials grew up with technology being an extension of their arms. I think has a lot of reason why the urbanization of the globe, why people are now connecting to food and wanting to sit around the table and eat, why places like WeWork work, is that you need that connection because all day long you are disconnected. And so the retail experience needs to change so that you are going into these stores to have an experience. And if you have a successful online product, you can continue doing that. But I think you really need to look and say, wow, who knew the biggest customers for us are 40-year-old people that live in Detroit. Mm-hmm. You should be opening up a store in Detroit in order to create this brand connection with them because people like extensions of their own personal brand so that they go in there, they feel connected to it. It's always a different experience. And so I believe in the 80-20 rule, 80% online, 20% in the store. And the question is, what happens in that store? Right. Is, you know, everyone in this millennia wants instantaneous ease of everything. Do you just go in and try on the clothes and then you walk down the street when you get home there at your house? Mm-hmm. Do you actually schlep the purchases home? Probably Are there not. opportunities to see stuff in the, there that you would never have seen anymore? Are there people there that can put your outfits together that you happened to purchase online last week so you can just get a little help? I mean, I, there's a lot of different things that can happen. Um, but retailing is going to change dramatically. And it's, it sounds like you're saying it's going to be a constant iterative race to, to stay abreast of what's going on with the customers, what they're doing and reacting to it and having the stores react. And it's, it's not uh, the monolithic uh, experience that we've seen in past decades. It, no, it's over. It's like the art world. Because of all of these fairs, um, do you really need to own a gallery? Probably you do in order to have a booth in the fair. But the ability to see art online and auctions and purchases in the secondary market, I think people are thinking about art very differently than they did 10 years ago because of access. You know, it used to be you walk into a gallery, I mean, you still do, and you're like, you know, wow, this is great stuff. How much is, is that? doesn't even say the friggin' price there. So you don't even know if it's in your ballpark or out of your ballpark. Well, we have to get a salesperson down here to talk to you. It's just like, just give me the price. Right. Right. I mean, that's got to change. People want instantaneous satisfaction, particularly Americans. When you are looking at e-commerce plays, people who are trying to change retail, they come to you, they say, Joanne, what what are you looking for in, in the founders? What sensibility do they need to have, including perhaps a woman, a woman founder? You've, told, you've said something like 85% of all decisions online are made by women. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you look for when they, when they come to you? I mean, when it comes to a fa- founder, I, mean, I, I look at decks all day long. They come into my box. And again, it goes back to gut. I mean, I, I saw five yesterday, and I'm just like, these make no sense to me. And interesting enough, some that I've seen over the years that said no to have now 
you know, fall into an abyss. So I'm like, oh, good, dodge a bullet there. <laughs> I'm really looking for scrappy, tenacious founders who understand their environment that they're building a product in, that want to have a dialogue, that are um, willing to shift gears Tuesday morning at 11.02 because it's not working, and are thinking at a high level as well as a low level, that do have an understanding that this is where we think we can go, but by the way, we might not. We might go this way. And it's just, it's really, it's a gut. I mean, you know, listen, sometimes people come into my office and I think this is really interesting. Or I talk to people online and I'm like, there is no way this person's going to execute on this. You know, too bad it's their idea. Um, I'm sure that there's five people right now trying to do the same thing because that's what happens. Um, but there is just no way this person has the chops to get this done. Right. You, I think you, it's, it's you a can tell if they're, if they're ready to really dive deep and go down that rabbit hole and be flexible yeah. and persevere no matter what, you can tell pretty much right away, I'm guessing. You have a goodness. I mean, some woman came to see me. I'd seen her business. I liked her business. I wasn't sure. I said, you know, let's go come back to me in another month. Let's meet again. I want to see how far you've gotten in a month. Really early, sta early, early stage. And she said, okay, fine. So she came back to me. The next time she came back with her CTO, Really interesting conversation, much better traction, much better instinct of what she needed to do. You know, I was still like, hmm. And as we're closing the meeting, I was like, now, what is your valuation again? And she's like, listen, are you in now or are you in later? And I was like, all right, I'm in now. <laughs> and, I mean, so it's like, I want to see that. Right, right. You're right. She, she stood up for herself. Uh, she yes. wanted to know how you really felt right now. Forget about the valuation. Did, did I do my homework? Are you believing what you hear from me? You know, this is what I'm about. And then she, she won you over at the end. I mean, it's early stuff. Yeah. I mean, this, this quarter, I think I have eight companies getting Series A's. Wow. I bet you've helped a lot of them get to the Series A. I hope that I have, you know, but it's really exciting to see these founders move forward with... Investors that I think are fabulous, you know, that they are um, institutional investors um, that make a difference. You know, and then I still have some companies that I did this four years ago that I'm going to do again now, whereas they're able to raise the money, but no one wants to lead it. And I hate these freaking double notes. So I'm like, I'll lead it. You know, I'll take a board seat. I'll help you get this, get through to where you need to get to, because truth is, I don't want to put more money into another round as a note. I want this to be equity. You know, it's a big commitment to make, but it helps them get to the other side. Right. And in terms of deal terms, that is a thing that you've often talked about. You like to have, when you invest early, pro rata rights into the next round. Do you get much pushback or do most people say, yeah, no, that's fair. I'll do that. It's interesting. I had, at this point, nobody pushes me back. Although there was... Um, a company in Canada, but in their documents, everyone gets pro rata rights. You don't have to be a hundred thousand dollar investor, so it works out fine. And we're seeing more of that. I actually think I created a movement on that thing. You did. You really are seeing more of that, and it's right. You want people, you want your your Series A or Series B investors to see, wow, those original people are still here and putting money in. That says something about the company, right? But you know. The only pushback I ever got, actually, it's an interesting story, and I will not tell who the founder is, okay. but 
she literally sought me out through this group I'm on, this list. And I emailed her directly and I said, I'm happy to talk to you. I think what you're doing is very interesting. Back and forth conversation. And on a side note, I think it's really important to have investors that understand your product. So I had one woman who really wanted me to invest. This company was a pure technology play, whereas CTOs or the people that are writing the code could literally access their company's back end on their app and make changes in a very sort of user-friendly, seamless way. Mm -hmm. I can tell you if the technology worked in a million freaking years. And I said to her, I'm not providing any value for you. I don't even know if the technology works. But this particular woman was actually in a field that, again, more in science. But I, I felt like she was onto something. Right. So I said, I'm in. She's like, I want you to sign, get in quickly because when Series A is coming literally in three weeks. Okay. So great. I said, I'll, here's my side note. I will wire you the money today. Good faith. A week later, I said, where's the side note? My lawyers say that... We can't give it to you. It's going to affect deals going forward, which is total bullshit because most of them don't even understand how to calculate. It's like if I own 1%, it's 1% of the round. That doesn't mean it is 1% of the post. Of course, and I take too much money. Right. And and just to clarify for everyone listening, Joanne is saying, I'm in. I'm joining your, your round or your note. Let's do a side letter giving me pro rata. And the entrepreneur went dark for like a week. And then came out with this excuse that the lawyer said it's not going to be equitable. It will hurt me, whatever. Meanwhile, fast forward, I actually knew who our investors in, and they would never have screwed me. But regardless, I said to her, it's your company. Right. You're going to, like, let your lawyers tell you what to do. Right. And that was an immediate, like, red flag. You are not capable of building this thing. You are not in control of your own destiny. And I said to her, you have till 5 o'clock tonight to wire me that money back. I'm out. Wow. <laughs> and she she wired me the money and she's wow. like I know you're the only woman in my deal I really want to you know I respect you and I was like never again funny enough the deals come up again into people I know and I just like I just don't think that she's you know and they're like that's kind of what we came up with too. Yeah, I think she was missing the big picture there quite frankly you have to own your own company I mean I say it to founders all the time this is my advice your company. You have to decide what you want to do because if you succeed, every investor thinks they're a freaking genius. Oh, they do. If you fail, it's all on you. <laughs> I love it. Let me, let me ask you, what kind of other investors do you like to work with? There's a variety of behaviors in the investment community. It goes the whole gamut. Probably let's keep it positive and not dwell on some of the negative, negative stuff <laughs> like people who never say no and etc. But what kind of investors do you enjoy working with here in New York? And, you know, you don't have to mention names, but I'm just curious, what is the vibe you look for? Well, I, as I said earlier, I think it's important that even an investor that really understands your space, it's not about the numbers. It's also about understanding the consumer and the product and the space all around that you fit into. I mean, it's one thing to look at numbers and see trajectory and just like, you can't just pour money at it. It, it, There's a, there is a nuance to all of these businesses. You know, I mean, I just started something that I call, um, I have a bunch of listservs. One of them is Gotham Bell Ventures and every single founder that I'm invested in is on it, which is so cool because they talk to each other all the time about issues, you know, from maternity leave to what products they use. And what I found is that a bunch of women I know who are angels who want to be angels, but really don't have any deal flow 
um, that I think are really smart who have approached me. I started a list this fall called Gotham Gala Angels. And when I say, I'm going to do this deal, if anyone wants to talk to the founder, let me know, and then you can do it as a group. It's great because these women are now investing. And not only that, when it comes to my companies, I'm honestly shameless. I will email or call anyone, which is why I have all these relationships with VCs all over the place. And so all of them are getting different investors from different people. I think, you know, they're all right for them. Right. And some of them, I would rather see them have VCs have deeper pockets, you know, and, and others that is not necessary. But at the end of the day, as we all know, you can't grow a business without money. Right. And so you kind of have to be shameless about taking the cash and particularly at the beginning and compartmentalize who you want to talk to and who you don't want to talk to because you can't grow a business without funds. I love what you're doing. When I've spoken to a lot of women entrepreneurs, they've expressed frustration to me that there aren't more women angels in the group. So what you're doing is, is awesome. You're bringing in people that you really respect into your arena and you're coaching them a little bit and sharing deals with them. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, I was like, this is why I'm investing in them. Here are my thoughts. You know, here's the deck. You know, if it's interesting, great. If it's not, that's fine too. Um, I, I think women more than men which is why Angel's List doesn't really work for women. Interesting. Is women want to read it. They want to understand it. They want to educate themselves. And they want to meet the founder. They don't want to just plow money in in a blind syndicate. Exactly. And that's why women aren't on that thing. Right. Fascinating. So, you know, I'm allowing these women to read these. And once you've done one, it's really easy to keep going. Right. It's a little contagious, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, Joanne, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Thank you so much for all you do for the New York community. It's great to have this chat with you. Thank you so much. We'll be talking. Show you around, give you a taste of business, you know. Hey, everyone. Dave Lerner here. I hope you're liking the Venture Studio podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, suggestions, or just want to say hello, you can reach us on Twitter at Venture Studio. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as well. Thanks. I appreciate the support as always.